0: Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. This episode is a big Q&A, where we explore an area of marketing through a leading industry expert. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Joe Williams all about the Google algorithm, how it works, and what we need to know as marketers to improve our chances of ranking in Google's search results pages. Joe's been in SEO for over 15 years, consulting for and training brands large and small from The Guardian, Cosmopolitan and Sky through to growth stage startups. He says he's on a mission to make SEO easy, fun and profitable. Welcome back to the podcast, Joe. Hi, Will. Uh, it's good to be here as always. Good. Yeah, it's great to have you because um, your your episode actually where we talked about SEO, um, which is almost two years ago, uh, that's still one of our best performing episodes. You know, it's um, consistently remains one of the areas that people I think are most curious about, most confused by is, you know, search engine optimization. How do I make my website appear in search? So in this episode, I really just wanted to f- double down and focus specifically on the Google algorithm um, and just Find you know, find out from you what do we know about it? What can we do about that? And how can we prepare for it uh, on an ongoing basis into the future? Um, so I suppose just to sort of you know set the the lay of the land. Just describe to me what the algorithm is, what that piece of software that sits in that black box somewhere deep in the bowels of Google's empire. What does that algorithm do um, in short?
1: Sure. So, um, yeah, just like any computer algorithm, um, it's made up of lines and lines of code. So we're, you know, we're talking, I would imagine we're probably entering millions of lines of code. Um, But Google has one main algorithm, and then it has lots of kind of what we call sub-algorithms. So the main algorithm got its name, um, I believe, in 2013, and it's called Hummingbird's. Um, And then there's lots of sub algorithms that sit below it that tackle specific issues. So we have PageRank, which is to try and evaluate the reputation of a page. And we have Panda, which is another algorithm, which kind of works out how, you know, whether a page is good quality or or lower quality. Um, So, so yeah, I guess in terms of, you know, algorithms, Google is, you know, is changing and tweaking them. Um, But Ultimately, you know, what Google really wants to do is to promote the higher quality results and demote the lower quality results. Yeah,
0: because its job is, um, although it sounds obvious, its job is to be as useful to its users as possible um, at, all, at all costs. You know, and that is its one mission, right, as a company. Um, but I suppose... So so, how much do we know? Like, how public are they about how the algorithm works? Is there documentation for it, or is a lot of it kind of guesswork and, and based on independent experiments and research?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's sort of two ways in terms of how Google is open. So, the first is through patents, um, and you know that these are quite dry, long documents, and they it tends to be some algorithms that they may use in the future, they may currently use now. And it's a little bit murky as to try to really understand from them. Um, But it is something that we do, you know, read as as experts. Um, But the other aspect is Google, you know, Google's quite good at telling you what they're up to with its algorithm, but in a kind of shallow way. So they will they will tell you that they have a new update and Occasionally it will have a, a name. So the one that got released, uh, one that got rolled out actually this month um, is the page experience update. So we, we knew about it about 18 months ago that it was coming, but Google actually rolled it out um, in the beginning of September and there was quite a lot of information around that. So Google told us you know, what you needed to do to optimize for that signal um, and you know, gave us quite a bit of time as well to, to get our websites in shape. That's interesting.
0: So, yes, whilst there's not obviously a set of, you know, complete comprehensive instructions for the algorithm, um, they do have some sort of information out there to help us create. uh, Essentially, what they're they're helping us do is to create the best websites for the users of its search engine, right, so that it can serve up the most useful results. Um, Okay, so I, I get that. So how how often how often does it change? Like how hard is it to keep abreast of?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say it's, I mean, Google does update its algorithm, um, you know, daily in terms of small updates. So, you know, it might be pushing through one or two updates every day. Um, we're probably having like medium-sized updates every few months, which me- you might notice in terms of your website going up or down. And then we tend to have more major updates which could be every year, every two years, um, something like that. But I think that is probably one of the biggest concerns that people have with SEO is SEO changes so often. How do I stay up to date? But the reality is the core principles and what Google really wants, you know, users to do isn't really changing that much. Um, You know, as you mentioned before, Google wants useful results. Google wants relevant results and Google wants reliable results. So, you know, if, if that's kind of like your very high level strategy, then, you know, you, you're going definitely in the right direction. And in terms of some of these updates, even some of the kind of, you know, medium sized updates, you know, unless you're actually, unless you've got a big problem, you know, maybe your website has got a, penalt- a penalty or it's it's demoted significantly, um, that tends to be only more, it's only when that happens that I would really pay attention to the latest update to sort of see, okay something's happened it's negatively affected our site let's kind of try and research what's happened and what's changed so that's my normal kind of um mindset for sort of smaller and medium size updates with some of the bigger updates or the more publicly talked about updates like page experience um maybe you do need to change your strategy a little bit so for page experience you know it was all about making your website more mobile friendly and also making your website more mobile fast. So, um, so that's kind of how I would look at it. Really, that's
0: interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. So these these tiny updates that might happen most days, what what's happening there? What is being updated? What is Google adjusting?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it could be anything really. Like we 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 really don't know, but. I would almost look at it that Google is is doing lots of experiments, and some will be quite general and broad, so they'll just be how can we improve the algorithm in a in a general way, and other times it will be much more focused on a particular a particular area. So it could be an industry, um, it could be a a type of markup structure that you could that maybe you add to your website. So you know maybe you've you've probably seen reviews pop up in you know. Google search results, um, Google might be focusing on that one area to try and evaluate what's actually a good interaction with a user compared to maybe a a less good interaction.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so we don't need to worry about those so much. It's about sort of staying to those, those kind of guiding principles, um,
1: which you talked about, um, was it quality relevant and reliable? Um, yeah. So yes, I, I think that makes sense. So yeah, quality relevant and reliable. Um, You know, we often, the old school SEO, we used to talk about, you know, on-page SEO, off-page SEO and technical SEO. And it, and it's kind of sort of stayed the same. So on-page is to do with your content, off-page has always been to do with links and then technical is the technical stuff. So what I would maybe add to that is like, I, I've, I'm kind of changing my school of thought in terms of what words to use, but they pretty much mean the same thing. So I kind of prefer content now um, as opposed to on-page. Um, I prefer reputation as opposed to off-page. So reputation still is to do with with links. So building backlinks to your website from another website is going to build your reputation. But I'm thinking it's extending to contents as well. So, you know, if, if you... If you've got, if you haven't got much content on your site, and you're not really a subject matter expert on your topic or your industry, then there's not really much for Google to kind of, you know, get its teeth into, and for you to build your reputation. And in the past, where Google used social proof from other websites to link to your site, that's it still does do that. We we now believe that Google is using um, social proof from how people interact from the search results. To your web page and back. So, you know, if I've typed in, um, you know, holidays to Cornwall, um, so southwest of England, um, lots of people are searching for that now um, in the, you know, in the UK because of the pandemic. But what Google will be doing is it will it will have an idea of those top ten listings and what what click through rate it would expect each one to get. So the highest listed result would get the highest click through rate. the lowest would get the lowest but if there's a result that's maybe seventh and it's getting a click-through rate similar to say someone who's 4th or 5th because it's got a really compelling um, title tag meta description perhaps it's a well-known brand Google will factor that in and I think it's using that as kind of starting to build a reputation signal around that and likewise you know that's pre-click if we think about post-click well you know if the um if the dwell time is on average five minutes, so the, the dwell time is basically a metric of when someone clicks away from Google and then returns to Google, or, or perhaps they yeah, it's how long they stay on the website that they click through to. Essentially, yes. Um, so so that dwell time metric is kind of giving Google an idea of how engaged they are um, on the website web page for that particular keyword. For some keywords, you know, the dwell time is always going to be short if you're looking for, you know, uh, sports results. Other times it's going to be much longer if it's a much more complex query. So I kind of think with this reputation aspect of SEO, it's all about social proof. You know, it's all about either, you know, external sources saying you're credible or actually, you know, why not look at the users that Google is um, is catering for um and i think i think that's a growing trend of where google is heading that's very interesting um there's there's a few
0: things to pick apart there so yeah are you saying that so so just to just to reframe that as you say traditionally seo rests on three pillars like you said on page which is essentially content off page which is links back to your website from other websites and technical, which is all the stuff about how your site's put together and meta tags and all that kind of thing. Okay, so you're saying that actually this this off-page pillar, uh, you, you're you're reframing that as a, a reputation a reputational thing, and that is to some extent informed by your content because you're right. Google has explicitly talked about. EAT, expertise, authority, trustworthiness. They've talked about how they're, they are essentially looking for the highest quality sources of information around the topics that their users are searching for. Um, so I suppose it's using a, a bouquet of signals to determine who the most authoritative people are about holidays in Britain or football or gadgets or
1: any of the topics that people are searching for, Right. Exactly, and um, if we think about how search engines work, like we always used to say, there's, there's three steps, and I, I, and I think this ties into what we're talking about of reputation. But I think there's there's a fourth step now, and it, it's not to say this fourth step didn't exist. We I, I think we just didn't talk about it as much. But yeah. search engines initially they just crawl the web. They primarily do this from visiting one web page to another, so following links. Um, then they index um, content. So if the page is useful for its database, it will it will capture the information and store it in its index. The third stage is ranking. So it's looking at all the signals that search engines use in their algorithms, and then picking the best best results for a particular phrase. But the fourth stage um, is really evaluation. So it's evaluating one, um, you know. How good are results from a manual review, and that's where we've got this. Um, you know, Google has these search rater guidelines. So you you mentioned eat content, but essentially, I think Google pays around you know ten thousand people, maybe more, external sources, and they have like a two hundred page, you know, book guideline book to follow. And they're given keywords and they're given results and then they have to rate the results based on this criteria. So two of the criteria that kind of, you know, that, that I talked about a lot now in SEO are, are whether the content is eat. So does it show high levels of expertise, authoritativeness and trustworthiness? Um, and there's quite a lot of detail into what that actually means. And then the other, the other one is needs met. So it's thinking about a keyword. What is the user intent behind a keyword, and did the result actually satisfy on that user intent? And there's there's a the grading between um, fully fully met and you know didn't meet at all. Um, so for me, if we just look at those two aspects of the quality rater guidelines, what's happening is we're getting people to. Manually manually review content, and Google will use that to kind of make its um, algorithm smarter. It's less less it's less interested in those specific results that they've reviewed, but more about what it can learn from those those raters and apply it sort of, you know, um, on a wider level.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. So this sounds like a real definitive death knell for cheaply produced SEO content in inverted commas, you know this kind of stuff that you know you, you often see being sold on sites like Fiverr and people per hour you know and uh, there's a whole industry around this around around blog writing and article writing, you know thousand word articles, that are keyword rich and cover a topic. I mean,
1: it's interesting that you say that well, because I, I actually think that's a growing area. Um, And the reason for that is like Google is getting smarter by using artificial intelligence, but there's, there's now tools that use, you know, I think it's open source AI. They're using that technology to create tools that will write content for you. So, so for example, I, you know probably the most premium that's a, that's affordable and you know it's, it's still quite pricey. one's called Jarvis um, so it used to be called conversion.ai it's now called jarvis.ai and it's surprisingly good at writing you know content for you um, but it I think at the time maybe maybe like six months ago it it Jarvis or some of these AI tools or the open-source AI, it understood around 10% of the internet relatively well. So it wouldn't cover all topics, but a lot of topics that were were popular, it would cover. Um, now, I I subscribe to Jarvis.ai. I think it's around $100 or $120 a month. Um, and now I use it more to come up with good headlines. You know, if I'm stuck in a, in a, in a paragraph, how I could re- rephrase something, um, you know it, it, it gives you copywriting formulas so like the AIDA model attention interest desire action so I find it for I use it for inspiration um, and I find it it helps with accelerating sometimes you know how long a piece of content would take to write but I do know that people are using it just to kind of just to farm out content you know and You know, and I don't think Google's at the stage where it's it's quite got its head around how best to combat you know that style of blog writing because I do think it's it's a relatively new thing that people are starting to do.
0: Yeah, but I mean, in in my experience though, if you look at the first page of results, certainly in in like let's take our topic about marketing, digital marketing, you know, if you Google something like. How to put together a social media strategy or something like that. Um, the the results that are coming up there are several thousand words long on that first page. Most of them, yeah, that's just my observation. And, and and particularly the big players like Buffer and Hootsuite and Sprout Social and HubSpot. You know, they're always the same people that come up for those results. They are c- compiling sometimes. 7 or 8000 words uh you know as as guides as in-depth resources and um i suppose i was under the impression that yeah just usefulness wins above everything um but you're saying it's maybe not as simple as that um if you can create enough content then you can maybe rank for some of those keywords in the in the gaps or in the shadows i don't know
1: yeah yeah, no, I I would agree with what you're saying there. So in terms of the first part about long-form content, these tools are promoting themselves as being capable of writing books. So like, you know, how how good the okay. quality is, you know, is debatable. But they are capable of writing 7,000, 8,000 words if they know enough about a topic. Now, I don't think they would rank, um, you know, if Buffer or, or an authoritative domain used a tool – it would probably stand a chance of ranking quite well. But I I think for your for your average website, you're not gonna you're, you're unlikely gonna outrank some of these really big brands who are who have big domain authorities and things like that. But where I do think people are using it, and you you were kind of I think you mentioned it at the end there, is is looking for some of these gaps. Um, so maybe it's for some of these longer tail keywords or maybe where there's industries where people just aren't writing as much content, you know, there's, there's huge amounts of content about marketing, but there's, there's less amount of content being written about load cells, you know, and, and load cells. I just did a test. um, it's It's an area that I know a little bit about, and it was able to write content about how load cells, you know, what load cells are, how they work and things like that. So, so again, you know, is that adding value to the internet? That's the big question. Um, And I, I, you know, six months ago, I just dismissed AI tools and thought, you know, I didn't like the sound of them. And I just thought they're not going to be any good. But I think we're getting closer and closer for them actually being useful. Um, And at the moment, I think they are kind of useful, but they just, for me, they're just a, a time saver. They give me some inspiration and they're, it's pretty good at writing headlines. It's it's better than I am at writing headlines. I would say. Yes, that's right. Um, it, that's that's what I'm seeing. It is you know sh- short form
0: copy. It's really good at that because it's it's easy for it to, you know, be train itself on. There's lots of data for that. Lots of data, de- and and it's easy to see what works and etc. Whereas I can see why long form would be more challenging. But we we are getting there with it. We just have to work with it. It's a tool. It's not doing the job for you. It's a tool to help you produce content faster, I suppose, isn't it?
1: In terms of Google's algorithm, in the last since two thousand, really since Hummingbird in two thousand and thirteen, but then it got ramped up in two thousand and fifteen with RankBrain. Google is is investing a huge amount of energy into satisfying long tail keywords better. Mm. Um, So you know, Bert, the MUM update, RankBrain, they're all to address long tail keywords. Now what Jarvis is doing is it's almost it's trying to address, you know, some of these AI tools are addressing the long tail problem before Google can do it itself, albeit not in a a great way. Yeah, no,
0: I get that. And and just to clarify for listeners what a long tail keyword, that's those more specific keywords have very low volume but very high relevance.
1: Exactly. And so RankBrain was the first algorithm that was introduced by Google that, that, was, that was said to use artificial intelligence. And we heard it was to tackle these these long tail keywords, which collectively contribute to around 70% of all searches. But individually, they're very, very small searches. So they're, they're kind of hard to research, to do keyword research. They're hard to write content for, um, you know, unless you just write a lot of volume of content. So this is the one area that Google knows it's weakest at. Um, it's the hardest thing to solve. And now that it uses artificial intelligence, you know, I think it's getting closer to, to closing that gap. Um, you know, so 2015, we had RankBrain. 2018, we had BERT, which was to do with um, understanding natural language better and some of the nuances of how people use words within a query. Um you know, this year, we've got the MUM update. Um, so I believe that's multitask unified model. Um, not a huge amount talked about this at the moment. And it's kind of, I don't think it's its its in Google's main algorithm at the moment for most queries, but I think they're starting to test it. But it's really looking at complex queries. So if someone, you know, if someone's got a really complex query, they might Google, they might search eight different keywords and it might take them an hour and a half or an hour to find exactly what they want, Google would much rather it take two or three searches and only take them 20 minutes. And that, that's kind of where Google's heading in terms of really trying to satisfy those more specific queries. Um, but it's going to take time. You know, it's, it's already been six years think, since rank brain. Um, mm. You know, it's, you know, I, I think we're probably only halfway there at the moment in terms of um, it's going to be another six years until Google gets to that level where it is really satisfying these complex qu- queries at a highly satisfying level. God, it's, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? It's
0: clear when you talk about it in in that way. It's clear that they're solving some of the, if not the most, um, impenetrable computing problems of the day. I mean, these are. You know, they're trying to really crack some seriously hard stuff here, aren't they? This is not something that you just knock together on a weekend. Um, they're, they're, they're 20-something years in and still trying to crack serving up the right result when, when we want it, you know?
1: Exactly. And, like, when we think of Google, um, we think of it returning results, returning web pages. But we've already started to see this direct answers. So Google... Rather than show a web page, it will show an extract of a of a web page, or occasionally with the knowledge graph, it will just bring back its own results. Yeah. And it it's natural to think that at some stage, you know, Google might you might ask Google a question and Google asks you a question back to kind of refine your search and actually skips out some of the steps that it might take to answer a question. I would not be surprised within a few years there's a a little bit of ping-pong between google and you know and the searcher before we actually get to the results Um, so you know who knows hello a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying
0: our podcast series why not become a member of the dmi so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. Where this might leave listeners is, right, okay, so what content should I be creating? Because when I tell people this kind of stuff on the courses that I run, you know, people, I think people get a bit scared. People get a bit kind of daunted because it sounds like they've got to go away and create this kind of rich and deep body of knowledge content, you know? And that doesn't sound easy. Whether or not you use you know AI assistance, it's still not easy. Um so, you know, how how can people kind of tackle it in a way that feels easier to face?
1: What 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 would be the first step, do you think? Yeah, well, I think before before looking at the first step, I would just to kind of reassure some people, I think it depends on your industry. So if you're in quite a niche industry and it's not very competitive, you know, I think where, where Google was a few years ago, five years ago, it's still going to be relevant for you, for you now. Um, if you're in a more sophisticated and more um, competitive industry, then you probably do need to fast forward or you might need to fast forward your, your thinking a little bit. Um, but I guess to break it down really, really simple, you um, you know, the, the first thing to do is, is to think about, you know, what products and services you sell, who your target audience is. Um, and most people have a good idea what, you know, what product pages they need or what services pages they need. So I, I would just start with those first. So it may be, you know, if you're in digital marketing, maybe you offer SEO, PPC, social media. Let's just say those three for now. But it's important that you have a page, you know, on each of those topics. So if someone types in, you know, social media services in Cornwall, for example, they're going to want to see a page on that. So it's, you know, it's, it it satisfies that intent. Um, If you've got a bigger website, so maybe you've got um, a couple of hundred pages, then again, I think it just comes down to prioritizing things. So start off with your transactional content, make sure that it's optimized but where we're talking about where Google's sort of moving with some of these longer tail keywords, quite often we're, we're transitioning away from transactional content into informational content and sometimes informational content with a transactional um, element to it. Transactional meaning product pages, right? Yeah, transactional meaning product pages and obviously informational. If you think of a, a marketing funnel, you know right at the bottom are buyers and they are they are searching with keywords. Which are transactional, and then above that, it tends to be more informative, um, and they might be. Yeah, people
0: aren't. People are in the earlier phases. People are just researching. In the later funnel, people are just like, "I need a you know a car brush," and they just Google it and buy it.
1: Exactly. So yeah, and you know it could be what is SEO. That's at the top of the funnel. Do I need SEO for my website? Might be one level down. Um, what makes a good SEO? Expert might be a level down again, and then it might be SEO services. Cornwall might be at the bottom of the funnel. So, you know, one thing to add in here, which I haven't mentioned, um, is in 2012. So before a year before Hummingbird, and these these were kind of built with the same intention. So Hummingbird was built to be more powerful, and it was the, the backbone of this artificial intelligence But before that, we had the knowledge graph and, you know, you've you've probably seen the result. Sometimes you'll see, you'll type in a celebrity and it will say other people's, well, not other people's search, but you'll see the little pictures of similar celebrities in that
0: field. Yeah, you get a kind of card on the right hand side and you get, you know, other stuff like films have been in or things like that.
1: Yeah. And I think Google sort of announced it as we're focusing on things, not strings. So it's trying to understand the connection of quite well-known topics or entities and how they relate to each other. So Google's been quite busy doing that for a number of years. So in 2018, um, Google announced um, that it it was using a thing called its topic layer. And the topic layer was a little bit like knowledge graph. But rather than looking to try and understand known entities that were well-known, it was looking for much lesser-known entities. So it was looking at at smaller topics and even subtopics within those topics. And what does this have in common with what we talked about before? Well, really, this is the long tail. These are the more specific queries that people are searching for. They account for 70% of all searches. And if we think about it, when it comes to Google Ads, where Google makes its money, it's not from the long tail at the moment. Um, It's much more from the the more known keywords, the transactional keywords, and Google is just kind of letting SEO capture all these long tail keywords and not necessarily doing a great job at it. But I think there's a reason why Google is focusing on the long tail. One, it wants to provide better results, but I'm pretty sure there's there's an e-commerce reason or a financial reason that Google is doing this. The better it understands these smaller topics, the better it can serve its advertisers. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a big area for Google at the moment and, and in the future too. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it?
0: Think Just thinking about, you know, ads and the interplay between ads and, and organic, um, you know, people regularly ask me in my lectures whether buying ads in any way affects organic search results and I always tell them no. But
1: is, is that right? Yeah, no, you know, I, I get asked that question quite a bit as well, and my 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 answer is no. And you will hear of some instances where people will say, "Well, you know, we were spending a huge amount on Google, and then all of a sudden we stopped, and our SEO just dropped." You know, and it, and it, it's hard to to sort of say that it's completely unrelated when you hear a story like that. But I think there's there's causation and correlation, and you know, but but generally speaking, I think. If it, if it was correlated, you know, we would know about it. There would be a lot of proof. There would be a lot of tests. SEOs are always testing. They're blogging about all their experiments and they want to prove Google wrong on things like this. But it's it's not something I've really read at all Or there's any proof that by spending more on Google, you'll do better on SEO. You know, you could argue that if you spend more on Google, you've got a better understanding of keywords. Um because Google tries to hide some of the search volumes for SEO, whereas you can get that from Google Ads. So you'll you'll probably you might be at a little bit of an advantage if you are spending money on Google Ads. But it, it not to the not with only if you use that information and the insights, you won't rank higher just by spending more on Google Ads.
0: Yeah, it's not directly affecting your organic rankings. I mean, I agree. I I tell people no, and you know the way I frame it is it would be catastrophic for their business model if it came out that you could influence organic search results, it would compromise the integrity of the whole product. And they have built that reputation for being an incredibly high quality technology product over the last 20 years. Why would they, there would be no good reason for them to jeopardize that reputation, jeopardize that trust that we have in Google. Um, So yeah, they, they, they would be stupid to, um, do anything else but keep those two things completely separate. Um, It would tank their business. Um, Okay, so we've talked a bit about content. I think I've got a good handle on content. Um, And also you've talked about technical, you know, which um, quite a lot of that has been addressed in this month's updates um, and and in general recent updates in Google, right, as Google has further prioritised the user experience of websites. In terms of off-page or reputation, as you call it, which is building backlinks, I just want to dig into that a bit. So what are the most valuable backlinks that someone can get for their website?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, good question. So, you know, I guess firstly, you know, backlinks can either be earned, which is kind of in the spirit of what Google wants, or you can kind of manipulate someone to, to link to you. And sometimes you might even pay someone to link to you, which is against Google's guidelines. So I guess a valuable backlink would be at least one that Google thinks is authentic, um, and hopefully it, it would be authentic. Um, but it would, it would, it would, you know, it, one it should be relevant to your industry. And it's not to say that a, a, a backlink that isn't relevant won't pass some benefit. But if we're talking about the most, the best backlinks for you, you'd want some relevancy. So. So that matters does it. So if I if if my my website's about
0: kind of my website is about technology and marketing, if I get, you know, links from a load of football websites, is that not as valuable as the same amount of links from similarly authoritative technology and marketing websites?
1: Yeah, no. So the like for like you would definitely choose the more the more relevant ones. Um so Essentially, I would say one is relevancy that we're looking for. How relevant is the page that's linking to you and how relevant is the domain? So what are their expertise? If it's just the page that's relevant, so it could be a football site, but they're talking about marketing perhaps, then there's a little bit of relevancy there. But if it's actually from a another marketer that's quite well known and reputable, then you're getting the domain um, relevancy and domain reputation. And then I think, I think, If we're thinking about this from a real purist perspective, what you would probably say is if we actually got traffic from that website and that webpage, would that be the type of traffic we would want for our business? Like would, would there be any benefit beyond just the link? And if you can say yes, then that's kind of like ticking the box that it's, that it's probably is a good backlink. But I get, I guess to summarize, you know, there's the domain reputation side of things. The BBC is very authoritative from a domain perspective, and I'd love to have a backlink from the BBC. Um, but, you know, the the equivalent of the BBC in my, my SEO world might be Search Engine Land, a very authoritative search engine news website. So if I got a link from them, it'd be very authoritative, not as much as the BBC, but, but very authoritative and very relevant as well. Um, but it doesn't mean that you always have to go for these big backlinks, you know, uh, particularly if you're not in a super competitive industry, even just smaller authoritative um, websites that hopefully have some relevancy. Um, and I think it's just more of a case of getting good at, you know, small amounts. You don't, you, you obviously don't want spammy links, but even if they're not super authoritative, but you're getting maybe one backlink, um, you know, a month for a, you know, a smaller website, that's better progress. And you're, you're getting better at the, act of of getting backlinks
0: yeah so we really should be sort of setting an objective for an ongoing objective to keep the backlinks uh growing over time month on month uh, for those to be from relevant sites um and uh so what what are some typical ways that that people generate those just as an aside
1: yeah i mean. Again, maybe a really natural way would be by creating content that attracts backlinks. So you know, if you've got some, you know, we mentioned Buffer before; they've got some good guide information, like ultimate guide to Facebook ads or something like that. They sort of earn backlinks Um, because that'll just
0: get linked to because it was useful. So people will cite it when they're writing content.
1: And that's Google. That's what Google would tell you to do: is to produce valuable content that people want to like share and link to Um, sometime, you know, but, but, but at the same time, if you have content, even if it's good, it might not get found by the people you want to link to it. And that means that you've got to promote the content a little bit. So if you've written this really good guide, who are the influencers in your industry and can you get under their radar? And it really, like any kind of relationship, it helps if you can kind of do a little bit of pre pre outreach so before you're ready to say, hey, I got this guide, you know, do you want to link to it? Um, maybe you've interacted on them on social media a few times, left a, a comment or two on their blog over a period of a few months. And you're being more strategic in trying to build that relationship. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm speaking at Brighton SEO in, a, in 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 a couple of days. And you do build you, you build connections in your network. So. Just by going to events where there's other influencers or or people you want to mingle with, then there's more likelihood that they will know who you are and potentially link to you in the future. So there is there is sometimes an offline benefit to to building backlinks as well.
0: Yeah, and what about what do we know about social media links? You know, how do we know much about how they affect SEO? So links from tweets, Facebook posts, you know, Pinterest stuff like that.
1: Yeah, as a general rule, um, and this isn't hard and fast, but as a general rule, you don't tend to get much um, SEO benefit from the link itself on a social media profile, so somewhere like Twitter or Facebook, um, that type of thing. Often, the links are no-followed, which is just a technical part added to the link, meaning it wouldn't pass reputation, but that's kind of only surface level. Social media massively helps SEO in terms of getting backlinks because you're, you know, you're potentially getting the right eyeballs looking at your content. Um, and I remember, and you know, I, I remember like five or six years ago, I looked at the last twenty backlinks that I, that we got to our website, and I think I'd worked out that eleven of them had come from Twitter, indirectly from Twitter. So it was, or at least I thought they had. So as people that followed me on Twitter would see that I'd posted my latest blog post, they would have read it. And at some stage later in the future, they would have then linked to to my site. So I I would sort of say social media is powerful for SEO, but it's more about connecting you to the right audience who potentially can link to you. That's a
0: very good point. And and again,
1: you know, surely
0: Google would be um, you know, it wouldn't be a good move on their part to consider links from tweets in the same way it considers links from the BBC because that would just be a far too easy system to game. You know, if, if once people found that out, they'd be writing bots to spit out billions of links and uh, all over social media, right? So it just wouldn't work. But but you're right. Like you say, it's about and indirectly reaching the right people with really good quality content. Because um, they're the people that are most likely to actually create genuine earned backlinks when they write about it or cite your work later down the line. Okay, cool. Um, So, Joe, you've just done a webinar about SEO for the DMI. Tell us more about what you covered there and also about this uh, five-day SEO challenge that you're inviting us to take part in on your own website.
1: Um, so I'll be talking about how you can identify quick win keywords. Now there's, there's, there are keywords that you're likely going to be ranking for. Perhaps you didn't know. Um, so there's tools that you can use things like Google search console is, is a tool, but I mentioned quite a few other tools in the webinar. Um, and I'll be looking at quite a few little different things. Sometimes some quirky things you can do to get a good quick win and I'm, I'm actually creating a five-day challenge myself, but yeah, it'll be tribeseo.com slash challenge. And it's just one task every day for five days. It starts off by working out what are your quick win or your your easier to lift keywords. That's day one. The second day will be around really knuckling down on keyword research from a user intent perspective. And then we talk talk about how do you make your content relevant, you know, not just from a keyword perspective, but actually fulfilling in what the user wants. Um, we talk a little bit about how you can interlink your pages so they are going to get a boost um, and how you can, you know, how you can uh, improve your click-through rates and things like that. There's lots of things that we'll be covering. Um, but yeah, I, I do... You know, part of what we've talked about today is a little bit heavy with Google's algorithms and creating all this content. And people often say SEO is a marathon; it's not a sprint. But I, I actually think sometimes it is better to have that sprint mindset initially. It's not to it's not to say that SEO doesn't take time because it does. But if I was if I was working on a client um, or started work with a client, the first thing I would be looking at would be quick wins because. Once you get momentum with SEO, that's how you keep building momentum and making more and more progress. Yes, that's
0: great. Well, I, I think I'll need to join that challenge myself. Um, <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds like we all need, you know, a lot of it <laughs> actually just is the reality of getting round to it, getting round to just tackling those first small tasks, you know, like you say, not not worrying too much about the big marathon, but just starting something, starting small and getting that momentum moving. So um, yeah, we'll definitely check that out uh, and the webinar too. Um, Well, thanks so much, Joe. That's great. That's really interesting insight into the Google algorithm, how it works. Um, My last question, I suppose, before you go is, you know, where do you think it's headed? What do you think the future holds for the Google algorithm?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're sort of building on some of the, some of the the things we talked about earlier, really, but um, I mean, Google's just trying to get smarter. Um, it's trying to satisfy the user intent of keywords better. Um, so it's about producing useful content. And the area that Google is focusing on is the less known topics. So some of these smaller topics, these longer tell keywords. So, you know, that would be one area in terms of where, where Google is Google is heading. I kind of feel that Google needs to come back to address some, some of the spam issues. So, you know, when we looked at Penguin and Panda was, it was addressing people buying links or writing thin content. And I think Google kind of felt like it had done its job there and it could now focus on AI and rewarding quality content. Um, but the truth is you can still buy links and you can still write content that isn't super high quality and it does sometimes pass Google's tests. So I I think, you know, I think Google will be circling back on that. I suspect they know it's not at the standard it should be. Um, So, yeah, I would say, you know, it is about creating useful content. Maybe go a little bit broader in terms of your content strategy. If you are looking at informational keywords, they should hopefully complement some of the transactional keywords. So you don't just want to write about anything. um, You want to write about something that will potentially help your business. but yeah, you know, I think it's quite an exciting time. Um there's lots of things and ways Google could go with artificial intelligence. So um yeah, I, I would say AI, useful content, and obviously with this page experience update, you know, Google is is saying mobile is important. In 2018, we had the rollout of mobile index first. We had the mobile pay speed update also in 2018. So Google at the moment is kind of obsessing with mobile and artificial intelligence I would say
0: well thanks so much Joe that's really uh, really all really good info um where can people find you online if they want to um, connect with you
1: yeah sure well uh, the website is tribeSEo.com um, slash challenge if you want to do the challenge um, I'm on Twitter um, Joe the SEO so at Joe the SEO. My username on LinkedIn is Joseph Williams. um, And those are probably the the two best places.
0: Great. We'll uh, be sure to do that. Thanks again. And I hope to chat to you again soon. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.